If you're still on the hunt for a sports book to call home, bet the nonstop action of March Madness with my bookie. Enter bracket contests for a chance to take home prizes of up to $25,000 or pick from a huge selection of straight bets, props, and odds boosts. Whatever your style, MyBookie makes it easy to play your way and get paid. Sign up now and take advantage of our generous welcome offer to score a massive first deposit bonus of up to $1,000. All you have to do is claim promo code MADNESS50. But the fun doesn't stop there. Get up to the minute odds, free bets, and expert predictions to help you decide who to put your money on. The best part about MyBookie? You can bet on anything, anytime, from anywhere. Use promo code MADNESS50, that's MADNESS50, to secure your limited-time welcome bonus today. This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. We're following breaking news this morning. Around 10 a.m., the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation confirmed that NFL running back Lawrence Phillips was found dead overnight in his prison cell. According to officials at Kern Valley State Prison, Phillips was found unresponsive in his cell just after midnight. He was taken to a hospital where he was pronounced dead at about 1.30 this morning. Officials from the CDCR say they are investigating the death as a suicide. It's sad because... Uh... A lot of people that uh, knew Lawrence uh, uh, have strong feelings about him because of loyalty to his uh, teammates and his uh, unselfishness as far as uh, the team goals and not his own goals, etc. Like all of us, he had positive characteristics uh, and he had things that weren't positive. And unfortunately, we don't like to admit it, but we all have certain things that way too, but it doesn't necessarily lead us into prison and that sets the stage here for another edition of the husker online show sean callahan robin washa dan hoppin and nate klaus as uh, we start things off today remembering the life remembering the career of former husker running back lawrence phillips a pivotal part of nebraska's 1994 and 1995 national championship teams uh, considered a Heisman Trophy front runner uh, in 1995 before uh, the incident that happened, uh, the the domestic assault incident that happened with him, and really changed his life forever. About I heard Jim Rose this morning say um, it was about 90 seconds uh, that changed everything for Lawrence Phillips. I mean, who knows if that night doesn't happen, what path his life goes down at that point, but. Uh, he was never able to rebound from that night after the Michigan State game, a game that was maybe one of the best games in his Husker career. And sadly, uh, Lawrence Phillips took his life earlier this week. And, you know, for me, Robin, I grew up obviously going to the games in the 90s. We had season tickets starting in 93. So uh, Lawrence Phillips, I mean, I, I watched every game he played in Lincoln. And, and, and you think about his talent, what he meant, it, it just – this is a tragedy, and, and you know, I, I think so much of what he did is overshadowed by, obviously, the bad. Yeah, clearly. I mean, there's, it's the ultimate Jekyll and Hyde uh, football player. I mean, you look at what he accomplished on the field and the type of player that he was when he put that helmet on. And like you said, there are very few backs in Nebraska football history that I think people would take over Lawrence Phillips. And that just speaks volumes to the type of... Uh, the caliber of player that he was but unfortunately the the demons he had off the field were something that he could never overcome I mean you mentioned the the Michigan State uh, post-game in- incident when you know the domestic assault there but it was something that 
it was far beyond just that. I mean, there were incidents seemingly, you know, every other year where he was, you know, assaulting women or chasing down kids in his car or uh, getting in fights in prison or, you know, potentially even killing a guy in prison. I mean, it, it, he had a real dark side to his personality and you can, you know, psychoanalyze everything that happened to him as a youth, you know, with, you know, his, his never had a dad. His mom had a boyfriend that beat the crap out of him to the point where he ran away. He became a ward of the state at, you know, 10 or 11 years old and, uh, you know, really w was never able to get those issues and move on from them. Uh, so it's, it's, it's a guy that it's really hard to defend him. And I think it's probably impossible to defend him and the things that he did. But it's also a story that you, you just got to feel bad. I mean, it's, it's, it's a real shame that, you know, a guy of that talent, just to watch it completely go to waste in front of our eyes, despite all the multiple opportunities he was given the, that he could never figure it out and, uh, you know, put those those issues behind him. It's just one of the, the sadder tales in college sports and especially Nebraska athletics. And Nate, you grew up around the Lawrence Phillips era watching the team play, and uh, you think about Tom Osborne. I mean, he, he really saw that this could potentially come, and, and that's why he stuck his neck out for LP uh, at that time to, to, to keep him on the football team, even though it was – heavily criticized and you know when I was doing my book interviews uh, Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas told me one of the reasons why he became such a big Nebraska fan and Tom Osborne fan was the way Tom Osborne was willing to stick his neck out for LP knowing how much criticism he was going to receive doing it a lot of coaches today I don't know if they would have done that but uh, T.O. put his reputation on the line um, because he knew that he needed the day-to-day -day structure of Nebraska football to at least give him something to live life for. Oh, that's right. I mean, you look at Lawrence Phillips, and he's he's a kid, you know, that that didn't have very many people in his life that he could count on, and and that uh, would take care of him. And uh, Tom Osborne was was one of those guys, um, you know, when he came to Nebraska. And he, you know, he found he found a family, he found people that he could lean on, and yeah, he, he screwed up, he made some some bad decisions, but um, you know, I agree with Tom Osborne. I mean, if you you kind of kick a, a guy like that to the curb, there's no telling what what would have happened. Um, you know, obviously this story didn't end well, but I think there's a pretty good chance that that it would have ended sooner. Um, you know, in maybe a similar fashion than it would have had Tom Osborne kicked him off that team. Dan, let's go through the numbers on Lawrence Phillips. So you've got them pulled up. Just kind of uh, break down his accomplishments at Nebraska, um, what he was able to do in, in, in his brief pro career as well. well. I think when you look at his numbers at Nebraska, you can make a pretty good argument that his 1994 season ranks among the best in school history as far as running backs go. Uh Averaged six yards a carry, ran for 722 yards and 16 touchdowns, um, ran for over 100 yards in each of Nebraska's first 11 games that year. He was obviously just a stud running back in college, um, very, very successful, wasn't able to carry over that success to the pros, unfortunately, uh, only played three years in the NFL, only averaged 3.4 yards per carry in his NFL career. Uh, I think he did play a little bit in NFL Europe. Um, MVP, uh, I believe, in uh, the spring of 99, led his team to the championship and then got that chance with the 49ers. And then, yeah, that, that was really it. I mean, we didn't see much of him again after that. Yeah, he, so he, he did have some success professionally, but not a ton. Um, but obviously, this is a guy, if you just take out all the stuff off the field, I think, you know, he's a, he's a guy who stands out in Nebraska history. But, you know, as we talked about when we were doing our Mount Rushmore series – 
Um, last summer, we didn't have Lawrence Phillips on our running back, Mount Rushmore. Talent-wise, he would have been on there. He would have been one of the first two or three guys that we named. But just you, it's unfortunate, and it's it's really sad, but you just can't separate the the on-field stuff from what happened off yeah, the he's, field. Yeah, I mean, he was better than Amon Green. Yeah. But Amon Green was able to finish out and, and be recognized the right way. And I think that's that, – I mean, obviously, Mike Rozier, I think, is still the best running back in, in program history. And I think Abdullah deserves to be in that conversation. And LP talent-wise, there's no doubt, Robin, I mean, one of the best ever to play at Nebraska. But it's more than just about talent. Yeah, I mean, one of the f- best stories, I think, is, you know, George Darlington recalling talking to Nick Saban after that 1995 Michigan State game where – Lawrence rushed for 200 yards and a, a complete steamrolling of, of that Spartan team. And uh, Saban told Darlington that uh, he thought that Lawrence Phillips was one of the two best running backs he had ever seen in his life. The other was Eric Dickerson. And so, I mean, that kind of puts into context just how highly respected as a football player Lawrence Phillips was, not only around Nebraska, but, but around the country. I mean, like you said, he was probably on his way to winning a Heisman Trophy with Tommy Frazier maybe finishing second if he was able to stay healthy that 95 season. So uh, it's, again, we can talk about it so many times, just the, the potential that he had. Uh, you know, I mean, the, with all those troubles that he had in college, he was still a top five draft pick. And, you know, the Rams ownership said, you know, as long as he helps us win, we don't really care about it. And you can imagine what would happen if an owner said that now, taking a kid like that. So, unfortunately, you know, the, his talents gave him multiple chances and, you know, he could never make the most of them. Well, a tragic ending to Lawrence Phillips. we got a full show here still on deck, though. Uh, coming up in our next segment, I caught up with uh, former Rivals.com analyst and now ESPN recruiting analyst Jeremy Crab- Crabtree. He's been down in San Antonio um, covering the AFCA Coaches Convention, and one of the things down there talked about are satellite camps, and it sounds like they could be going away. We'll get Jeremy's take on that next and, and what to look for. Uh, we also caught up with Josh Hemholt uh, to get his thoughts from the U.S. Army All-American Bowl about Nebraska's recruits, along with the Under Armour Bowl. And then uh, we'll close the show with Nate. Uh, we'll still talk basketball as well with Robin as uh, Nebraska Ball has been able to win their last two conference games. So we'll hear from Jeremy Crabtree next. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And welcome back here to the Husker Online show as uh, we continue our our breakdown here of what's going on in the world of Huskers. And uh, we're pleased to bring in our next guest, former uh, colleague of ours here at Rivals.com, Jeremy Crabtree, now with ESPN. And Jeremy, you've been down in San Antonio all week covering the AFCA Coaches Convention and a big hot-button topic around here in Nebraska has been satellite camps. And this is something that was new to Nebraska last year. Mike Riley uh, had been doing it at Oregon State for years and and uh, you know brought the camps in Nebraska and in a lot of different places. But it sounds like uh, that might be it. We may not see these satellite camps uh, going forward. Well, they're certainly going to be put up to a vote in April. The ACC presented a a proposal that would limit an institution's summer camps to on-campus facilities or facilities regularly used by the program. So you're right. If this passes, it would mean the end of satellite camps. And uh, these camps have been a hot, hot button issue in this 2016 recruiting cycle, especially, you know, you did it. People in the coaches in Nebraska did it. They did it at other places, but it really kind of grabbed national attention when uh, Jim Harbaugh went on his summer swarm tour last uh, June that took the Wolverines to Dallas, Houston, Los Angeles, Miami, Indianapolis, and places in Alabama 
that kind of put it on the national radar scope where a lot of ACC and SEC coaches started to speak out against it. And this proposal, if it goes through, would mean the end of summer camp, uh, satellite camps for sure. And when would that be? Uh, when would the proposal officially go through if it was voted on? I mean, would, would it go through immediately or would it take some time after that? Well, what we were told uh, yesterday in the NCAA recruiting seminar, and uh, it will go up for a vote in April. It will take two thirds of the football playing conferences to pass the uh, to pass this proposal. So, you know, keep in mind it's not just going to be the Power Five conferences that have a vote. It will be the Group of Five conferences also. So, equal representation for uh, the Big Ten versus the MAC. I mean, they get one vote per conference. It's going to take two thirds of that vote to, to to pass. And if it does uh, go through, and you know, it's been really interesting reading the tea leaves here ever since this was uh, first thrown out yesterday morning. Uh, if it will pass, but if it did pass, it would be part of the 2017 recruiting calendar. So no more summer, no more camps in Los Angeles, no more camps in Miami like Nebraska had. And uh, uh, it, it certainly is a very, very hot button topic. And that's the wild card. You wonder what these group of five leagues are going to do, because mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, they benefit from this budgetary wise because they can't get kids on their campus that easily. Um, and I think for them, you know, I was at a lot of these camps and I noticed like we're in Miami and you've got multiple smaller staffs that, that, you know, staff these events. And there are four mm-hmm, or 500 mm-hmm. kids at these events that they could see that they wouldn't be able to see. Um, so you wonder what their thought process is if, uh, the group of five, um, can swing the vote. Cause you know, the big 10, they're going to get most of the leagues to say, yes, I, th- I think the uh, PAC 12 is all for it, but yeah, the other three power fives are going to be against it. I think the group of five vote will be very interesting to see what they do. Well, you know, what makes this even fascinating. I mean, yes, while uh, Penn state is in favor of it, Nebraska is in favor of it. We obviously know Michigan's in favor. There's some head coaches in the big 10 that are very outspoken against it. Urban Meyer spoke out against it. Kirk Ferentz has spoken out against it. So this assumption that uh, it's a slam dunk, that the big 10 vote is going to go toward, uh, you know, striking down this proposal is probably a little premature. I mean, you know, we need to see what happens and obviously everybody's going to do a lot of reporting on this uh, over the next couple of months leading up uh, to two signing day and past signing day. Uh, I don't know if it's a slam dunk deal for the for the Big Ten. I know uh, the, the the conference commissioners have been very, uh, and the Big Ten have been very kind of slow to uh, adopt some of the new rec- new recruiting rules. They were very uh, much against the potential early signing period that got tabled in June. So uh, to me, it's just an absolutely fascinating situation because I see both sides. I see the benefits of having these satellite camps. I see why. Uh, you know, why Michigan, why Nebraska, why a lot of these schools across the country want to do it. But I also understand that that you look, they're kind of skirting the the way the rule is the way that it's written. I mean, it's literally finding a way to kind of bend the rule where you can only do, you know, have camps and be at camps at 50 miles off uh, 50 miles away from your campus. So I see both sides of the issue, and uh, it's just going to be a real contentious debate. I mean, just, just listening to the coaches talk in that seminar and then have it spilled over into the hallway uh, yesterday yesterday morning, it's going to be something that uh, is on everybody's mind here moving forward. Well, I think a, a way they could could maybe compromise is limit the number of coaches. You can only have two coaches work these camps they can't be head coaches. So maybe one offensive, mm-hmm. one mm-hmm. defensive. Don't allow – like Nebraska traveled 15 members of their staff, the yeah. 10 the yeah. ten coaches and four or five operational-type people traveled. 
you know, and Michigan, I'm sure, did the same thing. I could see that could be the issue. But if you say, all right, you can bring two coaches or you can restrict it to graduate assistants and and, and um, restricted earnings coaches. I mean, I think there's some other ways you could maybe compromise it uh, to, to help some of those smaller schools because that's how the uh, group of five guys, that's how I perceive they would do it anyway. They they don't take you're, – you're not going to see yeah. head coaches yeah. from the MAC going to these camps. Usually it's the GAs and the assistants. Yeah, you touched on something right there. That There is also another proposal on the table that would eliminate any uh, any coaches, uh, any FBS coaches. Uh, from only, They would limit them to only coaching at their institution's camp. So if that passes, that would eliminate that, uh, that suggestion right there. So basically it would eliminate guest coaching at other institutions' camps or at third-party camps. And that's kind of the one way that uh, these, these schools are skirting the rule with the satellite camps, and that was brought forward by the SEC. So those are the two kind of hot button issues but the one positive thing that was brought forward down here and i think you'll agree covering recruiting as long as you have uh is the, the they're going to bring back text messaging to uh to college football recruiting and we all know that uh that is something that basically do, is done now with direct messaging via twitter and instagram and things like that so if there's one positive thing that i think everybody's going to jump on board with from these new proposals that were introduced down here it was that text messaging looks like it's going to be back in college football so in the current rules a text would be the same as a phone call correct exactly and na- exactly. so it's now true. would you be unlimited with your texting ability just the same as you could be with a twitter dm uh, right now yes that's exactly the way that uh, the proposal was said that uh, they would eliminate restrictions on electronic communications between coaches and recruits essentially meaning uh, text messaging back will be back and uh, the way that it was proposed uh, you know, to on on the screen to the coaches, it would be unlimited, uh, and you know that that opens up some can of worms too that I'm sure we could uh, uh, discuss for hours upon hours. But I do think we we all know that uh, these these coaches have been in they have instantaneous communication with prospects because of the uh, the way that social media is done now. So just eliminate that uh, restriction and uh, allow them to just. Text message him. Come on. <laughs> We're talking big picture storylines that have come out here uh, from the AFC coaching convention with Jeremy Crabtree uh, from ESPN regarding recruiting. And Jeremy, uh, one other one I wanted to hit on before we go, and this is one that Nebraska has always fought for, um, is allowing the mom and dad to be paid mm-hmm. for as far as airfare. And, th- and that was always their big thing. Hey, we could get the kid from California here and they're sold, but if mom or dad don't get to come, they're usually not going to come uh, and commit to a place like Nebraska so far away. But uh, it sounds like this is something that could happen down the road as well. Yeah, well, that's actually going to be voted on. Also, uh, there were 12 new proposals. Those two were the two, uh, the, the text messaging, and then also uh, the, the paying for the cost of round-trip cost for two prospective student-athletes, parents, or guardians on officials. Visits. Those two seem like uh, they were going to should pass through without any kind of issues at all. The NCAA Division One Oversight Committee that's over is overruling football kind of now moving forward. They're in favor of both of these ones, and I think you're right that that's just absolutely huge and something that uh, uh, other sports have, or something that basketballs had for <laughs> as long as I can remember. Oh, basketballs had. I didn't know that. Yeah, it, wow. it, 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 so it, it, it's it's something that uh, the football football recruiting world has been way behind on, and uh, uh, I've yet to really tell find a coach that 
would uh, thinks that this is a, a bad idea. I mean, you you want to get mom and dad or guardian or people that are the decision makers, the people that will uh, be impacted most in these prospects' uh, lives on campus from these visits. Because you know, we all we all know this is other than who these kids decide to marry someday. This is the biggest decision that they make, and you you want to have the people that are important to, to be a, around them. So this 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 is a, this is a good thing. I think if you know, for all the negative to the, the discussion about the satellite camps, this right here is something absolutely positive that can come from uh, this this vote in April and uh, would really help out a lot, a lot of recruits. Well, it sounds like a step in the right direction. I know if you were the czar of college football, Jeremy, you'd probably make a lot more changes, but uh, I'm glad that some of these issues have been addressed. Thanks again, Jeremy, uh, for joining us here. Uh, it's been great catching up. Uh, we, we sure miss you, and, and uh, we're glad you're doing well over at ESPN, and i um, glad we could talk here today. All right, Sean, have a great time, and uh, go Big Red, right? <laughs> All right, that was uh, ESPN's Jeremy Crabtree here joining us on the Husker Online Show. You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washington, Dan Hoppin. We're going to talk some Nebraska basketball now. And just when you thought the season was kind of off the tracks, things have gotten back on. Now, granted, beating Rutgers in Minnesota, not the best wins, but I think, Robin, the, the nature of how these wins have taken place for Nebraska, uh, winning and not just impressive fashion blowout fashion we just haven't seen that um in conference games period especially on the road uh, at rutgers on saturday yeah you know rutgers like you said was you know maybe one of the worst conference opponents i've seen nebraska play in a long time and they were decimated by injuries so they didn't even have their best players available but the fact is nebraska went on the road as an eight and eight team overall, zero and three in Big Ten play, and won by thirty four points. And you know, say what you want about the competition, that's that's a, an impressive feat to do that in conference play. So uh, certainly a nice you know catalyst to, to try and build something. And then the worry was going into that Minnesota game on Tuesday was will they have a drop off? Because we've seen so many times where Nebraska puts on a good performance and then follows it up with you know another letdown. Well, they answered that with a 25 point win over a Minnesota team that granted is kind of in shambles right now mentally. I mean, they have a lot more talent than Rutgers did, but uh, they're just kind of a, a mess right now with what, whatever Patino is trying to do up there. So, uh, but again, regardless, those are two dominant wins that are kind of rewriting the record books for Nebraska. I mean, it was their first consecutive 20 point conference victory since 1971 and their first back to back 80 point scoring efforts since 2002. So, I mean, this is something Nebraska basketball, regardless of who they're playing, hasn't done in a long, long time. So certainly a big reason for optimism. I mean, just in, you know, with the overall tone of this season and where we thought it was going to be a couple weeks ago, compare it where it is to now. I mean, it's certainly a kind of a night and day flip. So when you look at these last two games, Robin, if you had to put your finger on what maybe was the biggest uh, aspect of this mini turnaround, what would you say that was? I would say it's improved role definition with the young guys. Uh, I mean, you know, Siobhan Shields and Andrew White, 
they've been themselves all season long. You know, both ranking you know the top eleven in the Big Ten in scoring. Uh, you know, and you know, while they have their bits of ups and downs, they've been pretty consistent. But the the change has been in the production of the young guys. You know, Glenn Watson has you know been been Glenn Watson, and you know Ed Morrow is playing some of the best basketball of his career. Same thing with Michael Jacobson. Jack McVeigh is becoming more and more of a scoring threat, and so all these pieces are starting to fit into their respective roles around them, and that's created a, such an improved product just with the overall flow of the offense i mean the, the the point totals show that blatantly just how much better they are on the offensive end and uh you know if that that's you know one of the keys that we talked about going into the season if nebraska can get help from other people besides andrew white and javon shields uh you know they're going to be in a lot better shape and you know we have didn't even mention Ty Webster. Uh, you know he's playing extremely well, thirty leading scorer on the team, and so it, it seems to be that you know all these other players are starting to kind of come into their own at the same time, and you know we'll, we'll see how that translates against better competition. But uh, the fact that they've done it two nights in a row now in such convincing fashion, I think, really kind of speaks well to uh, just the, the the turnaround this team's making. Well, I think in something we didn't really talk too much about in the preseason, but. This team just had so little chemistry coming into the year because they'd never played together before. I mean, outside of really Siobhan Shields, Benny Parker, and and Ty Webster, none of these guys had played together before. You got a bunch of freshmen. You got Andrew White, who hadn't, you know, really played meaningful basketball minutes since high school and had sat out the entire year. He'd never played a game with Siobhan Shields. I mean, you you can simulate some of this stuff in practice, but until you're actually out on the court and Michael Jacobson and Glenn Watson and, and Ed Morrow and Jack McVeigh are actually getting meaningful minutes with Benny Parker and Ty Webster and Andy White, all these guys are figuring out how they play together. That's such an underrated part of basketball. I think basketball more so than any other sport, just that chemistry factor and guys having to learn how to play together. Maybe we're starting to see Nebraska kind of figure that out. Now Nebraska will go on the road, Robin, two weeks in a row or two games in a row here. Uh, just six home games remaining. I mean, so there's not a lot of home games left for this team uh, to get some of that home momentum that we've seen in, maybe in that NCAA tournament year, for example. Uh, but at Illinois, that's a huge game. I mean, it's it very winnable road game. Illinois is not playing well. Then you have to go to Michigan State. We know that's not going to be easy. Michigan State's the only team, I think, that's beaten Kansas on the season. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong with that statement. But uh, then Michigan comes to Lincoln after that. So uh, not a very easy stretch here uh, with back-to-back road games. What are you looking for this weekend? Well, I mean, it's going to be can they keep this up? I mean, and you mentioned uh, the how the back end of the schedule shapes out. That's what made those two losses to Northwestern and Indiana so costly because when you start with two straight home games to, to open league play and then you lose both of them uh, that really sets you back and so Nebraska is going to have to try and overcome that and uh, like you mentioned this Illinois game is going to be a huge swing game uh, because of how the rest of the schedule especially over the next couple weeks shapes out I mean after those Michigan state and michigan games you're at purdue and then home against maryland and then you you know we'll see how they are sitting after that stretch because that's going to be completely brutal and if they win illinois you know they're going to be three and three and if you can win i'd say maybe one of those next four i think that's you know probably ideal and then you get to come back and host rutgers team that you just absolutely floored a down wisconsin team and then penn state at home i mean so this this 
stretch here is going to be extremely pivotal to whatever chance Nebraska has a potential postseason, and it's going to start with how they do in this road game at Illinois. Because, like you said, Illinois is down, but they're certainly uh, you know a, a much better team than what they've seen the past two games. All right, let, let's shift over. We're talking basketball here with Robin Washa. Let's talk recruiting, though. Um, you, you reported a, a pretty big story, Robin, after the game uh, against Minnesota. Nebraska placed an offer to current Papillion uh, La Vista sophomore Edward Chang, uh, another Sudanese um, refugee player in the metro Omaha area, uh, the third one now Nebraska has offered. Those have been the only in-state offers that have been made uh, the last few mm-hmm. years have been the, uh, from the Sudanese talent around the state. And uh, Edward Chang kind of fits that um, you know that profile, long-armed, rangy guy that's going to keep getting bigger and stronger. What do you think of Chang, and, and and does Nebraska? I know Creighton's already offered. Where does Nebraska sit? Yeah, Nebraska's been in on. He's been on Nebraska's radar now for several months. I mean, he's made about seven unofficial visits to Lincoln uh, since August, and so I mean, clearly Nebraska has been dialed into this kid for a long time now. Creighton got the jump uh, with with an offer, you know, this last weekend, and then Nebraska followed up two days later. And, you know, that, that was more a result of Tim Miles wanting to see Chang play. He hadn't got a chance to see him play yet, but, you know, with Creighton kind of uh, getting the ball rolling with that offer, it kind of forced Nebraska's hand a little bit, and they didn't want to be too far behind. Just like Devin Patton, right? Exactly. Or uh, uh, Justin Patton. Justin Patton. Yeah, yeah. Devin Patton was yeah. a former Channel 3 news anchor. <laughs> That Michael Severe used to always uh, make fun of on sixteen twenty. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. So, uh, but I think when all said and done, Ed Chang has a chance to be maybe the best prospect in the state because he's already so good. And not only is he six seven, better than a koi. Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, maybe not from an offer standpoint, but here's the deal: he's just this past summer he started playing Mo with Can. the Mocan Elite AAU program down in Kansas City and that's going to get him so much more exposure than he would playing in state unfortunately because Nebraska just doesn't have a legitimate AAU program on the national scene right now and so uh, now that his name's out there he's already a three-star prospect by rivals uh, he's going to get seen by coaches and recruiting analysts that's going to make that stock uh, really rise and so Nebraska had absolutely had to get an offer in and get on the board with him uh, before or, you know, not only is he averaging 18 points and eight rebounds a game this season in high school, but once he gets to the spring and summer on the AAU circuit and puts up those types of performances, uh, there's going to be a lot of teams calling. And he's on the EYBL, right? Yeah. Mocan. Yeah. So. He was with their 15U program last year. And so, I mean, I think we'll probably start at 16U and maybe swing up. But, you know, I mean, that's still an opportunity to get some serious national exposure. Yeah, and around the bordering states, what there's one Iowa team in the EYBL. Mm-hmm. And is that the only Kansas City team? I'm sure there's a St. Louis team maybe in there too as well. Yeah, yeah. There's KC Run GMC, which is obviously down in the Kansas City area. And then uh, all, all Iowa Tech, Martin Brothers, whatever you want to call them, out of Iowa. And, you know, really, that's kind of about it until you go to the, you know, Chicago or Denver. Yeah, yeah. So uh, this was about as good of a situation as he could have placed himself in. And I think the sky's the limit for Ed Chang because not only is he as big and athletic as he is, but his fundamentals just as a dribbler. I mean, he could play the point guard for him, but he's basically has to play the post because he's six seven playing basketball in Nebraska, which there's just not a lot of six seven dudes. Reminder, Nebraska ball will play at Illinois. It's a 1.30 p.m. Central Time tip-off, and then uh, they play at Michigan State uh, later in the week. That's a 5.30 tip-off, so uh, two big road games this week. When we come back on the program, we'll talk more recruiting uh, as we're now back in the full evaluation period as uh, Josh Hemholt will join us here on the program, Rivals.com, regional analyst to give some thoughts from the U.S. Army All-American Bowl. 
You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. All-Star Games are now in the books with the U.S. Army All-American Bowl uh, wrapping things up this past weekend. And uh, pleased to be uh, joined here on the Husker Online Show by Rivals.com Midwest analyst Josh Hemholt, who not only covered the U.S. Army Bowl in San Antonio, he was also in Orlando to cover uh, the Under Armour game. So, Josh, you're one of the rare guys uh, that, that was able to take in both games, both practice sites. First of all, has your wife left you yet? You're gone for quite a while. And her birthday was yesterday right after I came off the road. So I got I got to win some points back. But, no, I appreciate that, buddy. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, you got a little bit of time before you go back on the road for the Rivals camps. But uh, let's talk about just kind of what you saw. Uh, let's start in San Antonio first. There were definitely a couple of guys in there. Um, with Husker interest first John Reardon I know he came in a little undersized because he's playing basketball but just off the hoof what were your initial thoughts watching John Reardon and and seeing him in person because he's not a guy that we've been able to really see much in person at all this year no he's even you know a guy that you know, once he made his commitment really stayed pretty close to home didn't uh you know didn't get out in the camp scene and, and that's fine you know not everybody needs the camp you know to get out and the camp scene and get their work in. Um, I thought Raritan's senior film was excellent. He made a big jump in our Rivals 250 coming off of senior year, but that was my first time seeing him in person since he was a freshman. And I went out and saw uh, West Des Moines Valley when, when he was just a young guy and his older brother played on the team. Um, so physically, I, w- I did expect him to be a little bit bigger than he was, especially compared to a lot of the other offensive linemen that were there. Uh, early on, he had a slow start, but you know those who saw the game saw he really made strides from beginning of week to end of week, and his block on Shewo Alanalua's touchdown really sprung it. I mean, blew that hole wide open on the right side of the line and allowed uh, the West running back to, to plunge in pretty easily. So had a very solid game uh, all in all. You know, throughout the week, I think he you know performed much better at the end of the week than early in the week and uh, only concern there I guess was just I expected him to be a little bit bigger a little bit bulkier you know we knew he wasn't the tallest guy and we knew he wasn't six 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 seven um, but he's kind of a narrower narrower guy and, and we'll definitely need the the weight room in Lincoln when he when he arrives and you know you, you hear this from some people that a lot of high school kids that are over 300 pounds in some ways it's it's maybe not a good 300 pounds. So I guess if you're a program, sometimes you maybe want a guy in that 260, 270 range so you can build him up. I mean, do you see that a lot with kids that are over 300? A lot of times it's really not a good, uh, you know, 300 pounds on their frame. Yeah, it all depends on the kids, certainly. It all depends on their frame. Um, if you're, you know, just trying to get to 300 pounds just so you can write that on your recruitment sheet, that's probably not going to be good weight, and coaching staffs are going to have to take that off and then build you back up. Um, so it all depends on the frame of the player. You know, how good is his frame? How well does his frame support added weight? And how does that affect, you know, his athleticism, his footwork, and the, the movement abilities? So, you know, it's different for each guy. Some guys come in at 300 pounds, and, and it's a good 300. And other guys come in at 300, it's a sloppy 300. We're talking Army All-American storylines with MidwestRivals.com analyst Josh Hemholt. And uh, let's go on to the other uh, team here and Matt Farniak. I mean, this is a guy for Nebraska fans. 
They've had their eyes on him now for a couple of years. He's been to Nebraska about 10 times for visits, uh, but he's still a pretty tough egg to crack. I mean, you talk to Matt Farniak, uh, he doesn't really divulge much. Um, he's got a couple older brothers that have been through this process, so he knows what to say, how to say it. What did you get or learn from him over the week uh, at the U.S. Army? Yeah, and a guy, when I sat down and talked to him, top three of Iowa, Michigan State, and Nebraska, and he said those three schools, even though he had offers from each of the Power Five conferences, because they are very similar schools, and they they provide a lot both on the football field and in the academic uh, arena, uh, a guy that you know was looking at those two aspects of the program very strongly. So my initial take on him, as I posted on the Red Sea Scrolls, is, if I were to pick today, I think he ends up at Nebraska. But certainly there's a lot of recruiting to be done by Iowa and Michigan State, especially because they're hosting him on official visits this month. How those official visits go um, will be very important in the in the course of this recruitment because his decision is probably going to follow up that final official visit probably happened that last weekend in January. I think either of those schools or both of those schools have to do a really amazing job to, to sway him from the Cornhuskers. That's certainly the closest school to home, uh, which he did know as you know a uh, priority for him as he's looking at these um, you know, different schools. And also, just that's that's the school he kind of grew up knowing the best. And obviously, as you mentioned, been there so many times. He knows very well. Uh, I think they're going to have a tough time pulling him away, but anything can happen on an official visit and. You know, we got to see what happens with those trips before we find out the final answer. And now, Josh, you were also in Orlando, as I mentioned, and a number of targets and guys there as well. But, you know, one that was kind of a surprise guy in the game as far as getting invited, he, he was in there by a fan vote, was uh, Husker commit Bo Wilson, an offensive lineman uh, who we didn't actually see at one of our camps. He was at a combine, though, and that was really the only Rivals event we got to see him at. What did you think of Bo Wilson, maybe seeing him in person? Anything jump out to you about what you saw uh, getting a chance to look at Bo for the first time? Yeah, like you mentioned, was one of two guys that was voted in by the fans. And I, I certainly, from having watched him on film, had no question about his competitiveness. He wasn't a guy that was going to go in there be a deer in the headlights guy. You just know that by the way he plays. And and we certainly saw that. He was in there mixing it up. Uh, no issues. No, He didn't hold back anything. And, and that's what we expected from Bo. Obviously, not ideally sized. He did play some center, which if he can develop there, I think would be great. Um, you know, arm length is obviously not ideal, but uh, he was able to mix it up. Very good group of defensive tackles in that game. I thought he accounted for himself very well. And overall, when when you guys are just wrapping up uh, one of your final ratings process here for the class of 2016, what goes into that process here in this final round? And uh, can you tip your hand a little bit on maybe any Nebraska guys that might have a chance to get a bump up? Yeah, when we look at, at all the rankings, every time we're trying to answer the question, who's this guy going to be at the next level? Um, and that factors in the whole body of work. All-Star games are, are one of the best evaluation tools because it is full football. It's not just shorts and a T-shirt. You can get plenty of, you know, out of shorts and T-shirts camps, but you can't answer every question in that setting. Um, so in this setting, you get not only um, – you know, full football, 
but you also get playing against light competition. So you get the chance to see Division One prospects playing against another team of all Division One prospects, and that's beneficial. So at this point, you know, we'll have some some good conversations about uh, you know where Farniak is and and where uh, uh, John Raritan is after this. Uh, you know, I wasn't at the Semper Fi game, but I know J.D. Spielman had a good performance out there. And as we look at it now, going into this last rankings update, which will come out next week, it's just the question of, do we have, you know, has this most recent evaluation changed our opinion of a player uh, and who he's going to be at the next level at all? So most guys, obviously, you know, we've seen them a lot and and they're not going to change a whole lot. Um, Other guys, you know, this type of a setting reveals some things. So we'll get a chance to discuss that and, and really come to some verdicts here for next week's rankings update. And as we wrap it up here, Josh, uh, the dead period comes to an end here, obviously this week over the weekend. Um, it's been quiet. I mean, this four week month long dead period, it, it's just, it's kind of just made things too quiet. And I think fans are getting anxious and there's been a lot of coaching changes around the nation. Do you expect the boat to get rocked and a lot of flipping and moving around to go down here uh, these last few weekends? Or do you think uh, a lot of kids will hold firm? Well, I think we've already started to see it. I I think it's going to continue at that pace. Uh, Happened a lot in November and December, as you mentioned, the coaching changes. Yeah, there's going to be a lot going on. Obviously, Nebraska's in on a lot of guys still left in this 2016 class. Um, I expect to have, see some fireworks from their end of things. You know, um, guys like, obviously, we mentioned Farniak, Des Fitzpatrick, Tony Butler's announcing January 20th. Uh, there's just a lot of guys that are still considering Nebraska, um, you know, that are going to come down the stretch here. So, Nebraska is certainly one of the teams I expect to make a lot of noise in these last few weeks. And and as you mentioned, I think this 2016 class is is not going to go out with a whimper. It's going to go out with a bang. You're going to see a lot of fireworks here over the course of the next three weeks. Hey, Josh, thanks for taking some time out here with us today. Thanks, buddy. Take care. And that was Rivals.com Midwest analyst Josh Hemholt here joining us on the Husker Online Show. We'll close things up next with Husker Online's Nate Klaus to get his thoughts on the latest with the Husker coaches out on the road. You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Final segment here of the show as uh, we shift over to more recruiting. You just heard from Rivals.com's Josh Hemholt giving his uh, take just from the U.S. Army All-American Bowl as well as the Under Armour game and the Nebraska prospects. Now we bring in Nate Klaus uh, to talk more things to watch here. Uh, Nebraska Nate is out on the road in full force. They got out on Thursday, and they will be out really for the next two, three weeks um, at full staff. And, you know, you look at some of the things to watch. For you, uh, what is the number one thing that you're going to be keeping your eyes on here as Nebraska closes out the evaluation period? Well, I think the the main thing uh, to – or the biggest thing to me is can Nebraska close on the kids that, that they are currently at the top of the list with or, or leaders for? Uh, you know, there's probably five or six guys when you when you look at a you know wide receiver Desmond Fitzpatrick, uh, DBs Tony Butler, Lamar Jackson, Isaiah Simmons, Matt Farniak, 
um, all these guys, I, I think Nebraska, um, you know, is the current leader with. It can't, if they can close with them, uh, this recruiting class will, will really skyrocket up, up the, the class rankings. They're sitting at number 43 in the country right now. But if they can close with those guys, I mean, there's a very good chance that they could land, you know, a top 20 class or for sure a top 25 class with those guys. Yeah, to talk the, the fans off the ledge a little bit here, I think there's this a fear factor because it's been so quiet for so long, um, and I think people just want commits to happen, and they haven't, uh, but there is a timeline on each of these guys they're on, and, and that's why a lot of these things haven't happened yet. But um, if, if you're trying to talk some of these fans off the Red Sea Scrolls uh, that are on the ledge and, and getting their um, you-know-what's-in-a-jimmy, as, <laughs> as they would post on the board, uh, what would you tell them? Well, I mean, I, I get why people are concerned. You, you look at it from the, you know, just on the, the surface level, and, and it's been a long time since Nebraska's received a commitment, you know, going all the way back to the, you know, right after the Iowa game, and that was a punter in, in Caleb Lightburn. And, uh, you know, they had a couple weeks in the, the contact period in, in December where they missed out on a couple guys, and uh, a number of these players are – you know, set to announce either right before signing day or actually on signing day. And that's just something that we haven't, uh, if you follow Nebraska recruiting, you haven't really seen a ton of, um, you know, kind of used to, to landing, you know, a few commits, you know, having those commitments sprinkled in before the, uh, the, the dead period. And, and certainly, you know, uh, interspersed afterwards, not, not all right at, at the end, but, uh, when you dive in deeper and you look at how they are sitting with these guys and, um, you know, how things are trending with a number of these top targets, I think that you you uh, you become a little bit more comfortable with it. You're never completely comfortable with recruiting because things can change, you know, on a daily or even by an hourly basis at times. But um, I, I think that this staff has a pretty good idea of, of uh, a number of guys who are going to be coming on board. Not saying there's necessarily silent commitments out there, but I feel like uh, the staff has a, a good idea who's going to be coming and, you know, um, who they need to finish out with and really, you know, sway their their way over these coming weeks. Yeah, for me, Nate, the two positions I'll be looking at closely, defense, I guess the whole entire defensive line and mm -hmm. offensive tackle, paint the picture on defensive line, um, kind of where Nebraska's at. I mean, they have just one guy committed right now, Ben Stilley, right? Mm -hmm. And and ideally, they're going to take maybe three more. Yeah, I think they'd like to take three more, two defensive, two more defensive ends, and, and possibly a, a defensive tackle. Obviously, you know, at the beginning of the season, I don't think defensive tackle was a, a huge concern when you when you looked at the, the roster and the number of guys that they'd like to carry at that position. You know. Uh, scholarship players that they'd like to carry there uh, but obviously with the departure of Malik Collins, Vincent Valentine and maybe even Kevin Williams that that becomes a little bit more of, a, of an area of need going forward and, uh, and really there isn't a main defensive tackle prospect uh, out there that you know, at this point in time, really, that uh, it seems that Nebraska is is on or is sitting well with. So this is going to be an important three weeks for them to, to kind of identify a few more targets, get those guys on on visits. And uh, when you look at defensive end, the, the top two guys are Juco DN, Tramel Ivey, who's 6'5", 245-pound uh, edge rusher, um, extremely talented player out of Butler County Community College in Kansas. 
uh, was a, originally committed to Oklahoma State. He's from the state of Oklahoma and backed off that commitment right before the dead period and will be visiting January 22nd. Uh, and all signs kind of point to Nebraska being the leader with him. And then you've got high school defensive end prospect Colin Miller, who's 6'3", 245-pound guy out of uh, Indiana, actually the same high school as Randy Gregory. Um, and he knows Randy Gregory, and, and Gregory has told him you know, great things about Nebraska. Um, you know, Miller visited Lincoln two years ago for the spring game uh, and, w- and has been high on the Huskers ever since that time. So uh, Hank Hughes is actually going to be visiting with him uh, this week. And, uh, you know, he's set to come in January 29th. But, uh, you know, really, that those are the main targets. And there needs to be a few more. I'm sure there are that just aren't, you know, necessarily public or mainstream knowledge. Commits right to now. other schools. And, and, and a lot of that is, yeah, commits to other schools. I think there's going to be a lot of movement. Movement, you know, with uh, with a dead period over now, uh, and still some coaching staffs getting settled in. I think there's going to be a lot of movement with current commitments too. We're talking recruiting here with Nate Klaus as uh, Nebraska's coaches are out on the road in full force, trying to close out this 2016 class and uh, offensive tackle. You know, you heard Josh Himholt last segment talk about Matt Farniak. Uh, what's the latest on Royce Newman? I mean, you're hearing a lot of chatter now. Old Miss um, could be the team to beat. I mean, where is Nebraska at with Royce Newman? Well, it's hard to say because Royce Newman doesn't talk a whole lot. He keeps things pretty close to the vest, and and really since his, uh, you know, since. Gary Pinkle was was resigned or let go or however whatever transpired down in Columbia. Uh, Royce Newman has uh, kind of gone quiet. He has visited Nebraska, uh, and I, I know that uh, Mike Cavanaugh, Mike Riley have made uh, very good impressions with he and his family. But Ole Miss, ever since uh, he kind of opened things back up from uh, from his commitment to to Missouri, Ole Miss has been right there along with Nebraska. And the, the chatter right now is that uh, he may be an Ole Miss lean. He's going to be visiting there soon, uh, going to be taking an official visit to Missouri before eventually announcing his decision right before signing day. And no visitors this weekend, somewhat surprising, but Nebraska is going to have two really big weekends, January 22nd, January 29th. Um, your best estimation on how many official visitors you think could be in combined um, over those two weekends? Well, right now uh, it's you know we've confirmed six guys. I, I think that it's going to be uh, a total number that approaches ten, maybe even twelve. I, I think we'll see those numbers uh, grow dramatically here over the next week while the coaches uh, get back out on the road. And it's an interesting approach. Uh, you know, typically there would be visitors this weekend, but you know, let's face it, it it's been. A month, you know, with the dead period now, and and I think uh, you know there's not a whole lot going on on campus right now uh, this weekend. There's not a basketball game that they can kind of build around, um, and so I think Nebraska would would like to to have an event to to kind of backload those official. Visits. Show them the fans, basically. Exactly. Show them the fans. Show them the the fan support, and have one of the last shots with these guys. Not necessarily, um, you know. Get out, of, get out of the gate too quick, um, bring a bunch of guys in this weekend, and then you know see that lead fade uh, down the, the final two weeks. So um, it's an interesting strategy, but um, I think it's, it's also kind of a smart um, way to look at it too. So, um, But yeah, I, I think that we'll see as many as 10 to 12 total official visitors, and there's going to be a number of unofficial visitors uh, coming in January 22nd as well when you look at the Calabasas crew that's coming, you know, Keisha 
Keyshawn Johnson Jr., Darnay Holmes, and then uh, Javon McQuitty, the, the four-star wide receiver out of Columbia, Missouri, is also coming up. So that 2017 class uh, could be seeing – uh, you know, thing you know, seeing some action there too coming shortly. And people forget, Nate, Nebraska brought in 16 official visitors over the final two home games against Michigan State and Iowa. Um, which you look at teams around the nation, nobody brings in more in-season visitors than Nebraska. No, nobody brings in more than Nebraska. I, you know. I'd, uh, while the results, you know, the number of commitments that came out of the visitors uh, that, that came in last season may not be where, where the fans would like it to be. I still think, you know, by the time signing day rolls around, you, you'll be able to look back at the kids who are on campus that took their official visits during the fall and see a number of those guys that eventually, you know, committed to Nebraska, especially that Michigan State weekend. That That's going to end up being an important weekend, um, I think, when we take a look back at this 2016 class. Well, Nate, Make sure you get some rest, get your coffee going, and, yeah. and uh, tell your wife you'll see her in about three weeks. Exactly. Three weeks, uh, and then I'll be able to crawl out of my hole. <laughs> All right. Well, that puts a wrap here on another edition of the Husker Online Show. Thanks again for joining us this week on HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on that's nice at caskers.com we make this experience easy caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code welcome 10 for ten dollars off your first purchase get ten dollars off your first purchase with code welcome 10 at caskers.com